everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 52 of the show. Which means it's been a year. It's the DC episode. It has been one year of this podcast. Wow. What's that? It's the DC episode. Yeah, it's the DC episode. Um, I have never, for all the podcasting that I've done, I have never made an entire year of a podcast consistently on a schedule. It all unravels from here, kids. It does. This is it. We're going to have that feeling of accomplishment and go like, we could take next week off, right? And then <laughs> six months later. Well, the crazy thing is, like, as we're recording this, 43 came out this morning. So, I mean, we're yeah. nine episodes ahead of release. Yeah. We and could take we're nine ju- weeks off. We, we, we shouldn't. <laughs> no, no, that's not. <laughs> but it's, it's really pretty great. And, um, you know, y'all are out there. Y'all just hear the show as it comes out. So just a little little peek behind the curtain about how this works is we record and I do all, you know, a few little magic things and audacity to make us make us sound a little bit better, a little bit good, a little bit, you know, professional or whatever. And then Mike does like all the website and the posting and the scheduling and all that stuff. So, so Yeah, but then you post on all our social media. So I feel like it's a pretty balanced situation. It's a pretty Works good pretty team good. effort, but I don't, yeah, I don't think I like I, it. this would not be happening without your help. So yours too. Yeah. Good. Um, so here we are ready for another year, 52, hopefully more episodes of podcast. What this means though, remember when we started, we started uh-huh. when Avengers infinity war came out. Yeah. Right around that time. Yeah. We're ready for Avengers Endgame. I know. And so even though as we're recording this, it's still a little ways off. Around the time this is coming out, we should be looking for that movie like right around the corner. Oh, I can't wait. I'm excited. Very. Yeah. And then probably in July, San Diego Comic Con will have something about what's coming down the pike. Uh It was New York Comic Con um, of like four years ago that they announced the entire slate of phase three films. So I'm hoping for something similar, either San Diego or New York this year. They're going to say, okay, you know what? Here's where we're going mm-hmm. for the next immediate future. Because all we know right now is Spider-Man. We know Captain Marvel, Endgame, Spider-Man. Uh, we have heard that there's going to be maybe some Falcon Bucky TV and some WandaVision TV. Mm-hmm. And a Loki TV. And a Loki TV. We've heard or we know that Netflix has canceled, or not Netflix, Disney canceled all the Netflix stuff, but maybe that's because it's going to get either moved or started over on their new Disney network, but that's all up in the air stuff. So yeah, that Comic-Con could really announce or solidify some things for us. Things are things are really up in the air for, for the film future of, of Marvel's cinematic universe, and yeah, I'm just really curious to see I, what they're going to do. I feel like, in a way, that has to be the case, because we don't, we don't want to know what happens in Endgame. Mm-hmm. And whatever happens in Endgame is going to change all the actors, maybe, or maybe not. Right. And so if you start seeing posters for new stuff coming out that doesn't have certain actors on it, you're going to start going, huh, I wonder if they uh, survive Endgame or whatever. Well, so. And see, we've, we've seen trailers for Spider-Man Far From Home, and there's already been a lot of outcry of, you've ruined um, Endgame and you've ruined Infinity War because now I know that Spider-Man's going to be alive yeah, but and, we've known that forever. 
I feel like, yeah, I feel like there's a certain amount of voice that people just aren't quite used to protracted storytelling like this, where Mm -hmm. death is rarely permanent. But at the same time, I think some death in Endgame is going to be permanent. I think so, too, because some contracts are up and we know, I mean, spoilers, we know Chris Evans is done. So whether he he's, has been public that he is walking away from the role, Endgame is his so, last movie. In fact, Avengers Infinity War was technically contractually his last movie. He agreed to do Endgame because he said it was a good ending. Mm-hmm. So does that mean death? Does that mean he retires and we just never see him again? I don't know. But the point is, there's definitely some changes, some shuffling. I've heard Chris Hemsworth say he's bored of playing Thor. So that could go. I just Tony had a Stark. crazy idea. I just had a crazy idea. Yeah. What if it's not Winter Soldier Falcon? Yeah. What if it's Captain America and the Falcon? Yeah. It's Sebastian. I know. What's his name? Sebastian Stan? Yeah, as exactly. As Captain America. They've asked him, are you going to be Cap? And he has not answered, as far as I know. He always, like, Ooh. you know, waves it other, off. Other people have thought about that, but that just, just now sure. occurred to me. Oh, well, I didn't think about it for the TV show, but I thought that he could be the successor, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. So, yeah, we're excited. We, we've been doing this for a year. I want to thank everyone out there who's been so supportive of the show. There's, I mean, there's a good couple of hundred of you, which in today's podcasting environment, I'm pretty happy about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think whenever you and I started podcasting, like almost a decade ago, yeah, podcasting just wasn't nearly as big a thing. And I mean, um, we're getting like Conan O'Brien numbers. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> but I don't know what his numbers are. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. We, we really appreciate our audience and all yeah. you do to spread the word and talk about the show. We really appreciate it. Yep. And it's still fun. So we're going to keep doing it. And we're just going to keep on just like we did for episode 50. We're just going to do another episode and keep on doing what you came to hear us do. And <laughs> Even um, though our, our task is impossible. And pretty much everybody who writes us is always like, so someday when you quit, <laughs> like that's just inevitable. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're just going to keep going. It's going to take us longer and longer to get through every segment of time. I know. Because spoilers, next month, there are more comics on the stands. Uh, Avengers and Sergeant Fury are both going to go monthly very soon. I think, didn't we look for fun at like 1975 and it we calculated it would take like 15 episodes to get through one month or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's craziness, so yeah. These early yeah. months are nice for us. Not going to last. Actually, I was just looking ahead. We didn't talk about it um, last issue with our Avengers issue, but Avengers goes monthly with issue six. Awesome. So May, May 1964, the only books that are going to be by month, they're going to be Daredevil and the X-Men. They're going to alternate months, which will, be, which will give us the same number of comics every month. One month it'll be Daredevil, one month it'll be X-Men. Everything else is monthly. So we wish that Human Torch and Giant Man were bi-monthly and... <laughs> we had Daredevil and X-Men every month, but that's not how it's going to be. I would trade those out in a heartbeat. Right? Okay. Uh, but speaking of tonight, we got... Guess what, guys? Is that Benny and the Jets? No, oh, that's Iron Man. I don't know his theme, but that's how it starts. Oh. He's very something, snappy. something, the man of steel. Yeah, He's a- I know. He's the coolest cat with a heart of steel or something like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we got Iron Man in Tales, Tales of, of Suspense. Suspense number 54. We are in March 10th now of 1964. Mm-hmm. Is this our first 10th? Yeah. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man last episode was oh, March okay. 10th. We forgot so to say. So we're, we're still in March 10th. Cover dated June 1964. It's called The Mandarin's Revenge. 
starring the Crimson Dynamo. Uh, let's see. I'm kidding. It's the Mandarin. But it's written in his magic Marvel manner by Stan Lee, drawn in his famous flashing fashion by Don Heck. Yes. And lettered in his smooth, subtle style by Art Simek. And it starts with the Iron Man at, Iron Man balloon at the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. So that's cool. That's what it looks like. It is. But it's really just Iron Man flying around really low because it says something like, you can't walk around and be famous like Iron Man. So you fly around and light people's hair on fire with your jet boots or whatever. Anyway, he gets an emergency call from Pepper because he has that wired, I guess, now. And she's like, we can't find Tony. Can you find Tony? It seems like you can always find Tony somehow. And he's like, uh, I think I can find Tony. Let me try and find Tony. And turns out he is Tony. He has a new helmet. It's got rivets on it. So that's different. Sometimes yeah, he no longer has like the pointy helmet. Yeah, he used to have like the wolvy pointy helmet, which was cool. Now he's got rivets that like are on the seam where the red and the yellow meet, but also go straight down the middle of his face. And at least in what I'm looking at, sometimes they color his entire head yellow and sometimes mm-hmm. they don't. So that's really weird. But anyway, I don't like it. I think it's a downgrade, but we'll get to that. Um, anyway, he like gets into his base through like this awesome Batman thing and he reports in. And it turns out that uh, a missile or the, another Tony Stark missile base sabotage thing, like the missiles that he sold to the government are, are, are being misdirected and they're not happy about it. So they want to go see him. But before that, Tony now is apparently in love with Pepper Potts because he thinks about being in love with her. But he can never like, you know, be with her because he would subject her to danger. And also he's got a weird thing on his chest. So instead he gets grumpy with uh, Happy because Happy overtly flirts with Pepper, and so that causes conflicting emotions in Tony. And he makes uh, his chauffeur go and inspect a, a, a branch of his, uh, 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 you know, I don't know, testing site or something, because that would make Happy sad, and it does. So he's being mean. And he's mean to Pepper, too, because she asks if she can come to, with him to the Pentagon, and he says no. Because I love you, and therefore I don't want you around. And she's just like, harumph. So anyway... He goes down there, roller skates, and flies his way down there, and they complain, and once again, immediately think that he's like a swindler and selling them cheap missiles or something, because they just desperately want to not do business with him for some reason. Uh, He goes to investigate and finds out that there's some sort of weird magnetic pull. He can't figure out what it is, so it has to be the Mandarin. Of course, it's the Mandarin, the most brilliant genius of all time. It has to be him. I don't know anybody else who could do this. So then he flashes back to his first confrontation with the Mandarin, where he almost got his, uh, you know, first defeat, I guess. So he decides, I can't invade him as Iron Man because he'll see me coming. So I'm going to invade him as Tony Stark. So he drives up to the guy's base because he knows where it is. And they like, the guards capture him. And they're like, hey, what's in this briefcase? And they open it and gas comes out. And in the briefcase, and he knocks all the guards out, and then he's Iron Man, and he attacks the Mandarin. And pretty much it's the same kind of fight. The Mandarin doesn't really use his rings that much. He uses, he relies more on his awesome karate skills. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he has super strength or if he's just so good at karate that he can punch through anything because that's how karate works. But he really, like, gives Iron Man a good trounce, trouncing, pounding, whatever you want to call it, and then manages to 
put him like in between these big conductors and magnetize him. And that really weakens him. And then he attacks him with a sword and he has Iron Man running through the castle, like kind of afraid. Um, and finally he does use his ring and it's a ring that can shoot out some sort of black light that he called. He calls it black light, which is sort of, I don't know, the opposite of light, but I don't know how that works. Anyway, it makes everything black. And then he has his, in his uh, awesome Fantastic Four castle, he has like these ropes that can come out that are attracted, are magnets. So they're attracted to, you know, metal and they find Iron Man in the dark. They wrap around him. They electrify him. He's already low on transistor juice. So he thinks to himself, I could normally break out of these, but I can't right now. I'm totally stuck. Um, And then the Mandarin kind of talks about how he's going to, you know, destroy him and stuff. And Iron Man thinks to himself, man... Now that I'm going to die, I really wish my last words to Happy and Pepper weren't so mean and are first to be continued. It's a cliffhanger, kids. It's a cliffhanger in Iron Man. I don't think that's happened yet. I don't think it has either. In fact, the last time we had a Mandarin story, I thought this was the ending we were going to have. Oh, this is just the beginning. Yeah, because if you remember in the, in the last story, he gets weak before he goes and fights the Mandarin. Mm-hmm. He like he uh, runs low oh. on transistor power, getting to the Mandarin's hideout. So it's like felt like a setup for this ending. Uh huh. But no, no. But speaking of the last Mandarin story, this felt a lot like the last Mandarin story. It did. It did. And before we get into it, I just wanted to say one thing. Last time we talked about the Mandarin, I kind of made a big deal about like the questionableness of the Mandarin as a concept. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take that as red. Going forward, I don't feel the need to harp on that every time unless there's something specific that he does that just like calls attention to it, which I don't think happens. In fact, a lot of the questionable art choices to describe the Mandarin last issue are absent in this issue. So, um, yeah, you know, and I and we pointed out too that he was still a very strong character despite that. And mm-hmm. we both like the fact that he's not like a typical red villain like he actually doesn't like communism either right uh he doesn't want anybody to be in charge of him he wants to rule the entire world so he's his own Himself. independent you- person Did i lose yeah, you, you? no nope, i'm we'll here keep on going sometimes that happens um our audio is kind of weird sometimes but we're going to keep on going now and um what do you think of iron man's new suit i don't like it i mean the suit's the same i like the pointy yeah. mount pointy uh helmet better yeah i really like do he- too Looks like he got his head shaved and it's awkward and his eyes are weird. It's like it's a move toward what I think of in my head as classic Iron Man, mm-hmm. but it's not It's not in an aesthetically pleasing spot right now. They. I don't know if they changed his <laughs> eyes. I'm noticing his eyes for the first time. Now I want to kind of run back real fast and look. They made a big deal about him being able to see his eyeballs when they did the Steve Ditko redesign and gave him the costume. Okay, but if you look at the last issue, his eyes are rectangles. Which is more what I think of as Iron Man. Uh huh. And now they look like circle-y things or something. Like, like sort of triangular oval like, kind of things. Like, like swimmer goggles. So, yeah. And his eyes look cross-eyed in them. And it doesn't help that they keep missing the color, messing the color up too. But and if you yeah, notice, he looks his, creepy. His helmet, is, his helmet is two pieces. Look at that panel at the bottom of page two. He has a face mask that attaches to the red piece. That's good because if it was a helmet, I've seen pictures of people drawing him where he's taking his helmet on and off over his head. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense 
for it to be that small if that's how he gets his helmet on and off, you know? Because you need a neck. You need it. You need to be able to get it over the ears. That would be like football helmet size if you had mm-hmm. to do that. So it makes more sense that he's got like this form-fitting thing that he just clasps to his face, which is how they do it in the movies. You know, he's got that thing that lifts up and pops back down, at least initially. And at the top of page four, there as you can see the the red headpiece mm-hmm. that wraps around the head, except for the face. Yeah. So he doesn't have to get it over his ears. It's just kind of a wraparound deal. Anyway, makes more sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that it felt kind of weird because when did Tony Stark fall in love with, uh, Pepper Potts? Right now, this very page three. Yeah. I'd like to be with Pepper always, but dare not expose her to the dangers that Iron Man must face. He has never thought that before. So I did some digging. Uh And you know how it's kind of my move to like take little bitty comments and try to read a whole bunch of nuance into them? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That's kind of my Because we have to. Right, right. So, okay. Issue 50, Pepper gets the new hairdo. Uh Because they're like prettying up Pepper Potts. Right. Tony Stark definitely noticed the hairdo. Okay. But we didn't really get any explicit expressions of interest in her romantically. Mm -hmm. Then issue 51, there's that like blonde who comes to pick up Tony Stark for a lunch date or something. And Tony's in his office, but Pepper like turns the blonde away. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And Tony f- realizes what Pepper was probably doing, but he also doesn't mind because he figures the blonde was probably boring. Okay. So maybe there was, uh, oh, Pepper, you know, Pepper turned that girl away. Okay. Then we get distracted by issues 52 and 53 because that's the Black Widow. Mm-hmm. She pretty successfully distracts Tony Stark. And now we're here. So I do feel like this is out of nowhere. But we could maybe read a little bit of growing affection in previous issues. Maybe just a little bit if we try hard and squint. Yeah. I mean, I've, I feel like he's always been aware that she's interested. Maybe Is I'm, he aware that she's interested? Because he keeps on shunting her off over to, to Happy. Maybe I'm just reading into that. Maybe I just assume he's aware because she's so overt about it. Mm-hmm. But actually, they kind of write it like he's not aware. Because they always, like at the end, she's always mad that she thought she was going to get a date and... She didn't, or whatever. Remember the issue that, like, um, he and Pepper were in a tight spot, and he pretended they were being affectionate as a ruse? Uh-huh. And she, like, really got into it, and he's like, oh, great, thanks for playing along. And then she was super mad, and he didn't know why? Right. So maybe he's not even aware of it. I don't know. But yeah, this just was like, this and, you know, giant man wanting to propose all of a sudden. There's a lot of romance going on this month out of nowhere, I feel like. Yeah, at least giant man has, like, a protracted relationship to precede the proposal. This right. is really just like you were my secretary and they dolled you up in the art style. And now, so- Oh, you know what this is? This is flash Thompson's reaction to Liz's haircut. Yeah. You're, you're beautiful now, but he didn't even do it then. So it's really delayed. Yeah. Cause she's been like the, you know, quote unquote, pretty pepper pots for issues now. Right. I don't know. I think it's like maybe just Stan going, hey, we need some more drama in this book. So let's let's come up with some typical secret. And pretty soon Pepper's going to love Iron Man. Watch, watch. Um. Yeah. Yeah, that could happen. So what we have now is a little bit of a weird quadrangle. Okay. Because yeah. Tony likes Pepper, won't tell her. Pepper likes Tony, won't tell him. Happy likes Pepper, Pepper rejects him. I said quadrangle, but Iron Man doesn't really yet fit into the picture. But Pepper also likes Happy, I feel. Maybe she's had a few warm moments with him, I feel like. And 
I don't know. She very vocally denies them, but it sure. could be that there's something going on in there. Mm-hmm. I think she's had a few thought bubbles that suggest that she could get into him if it wasn't for Tony. So who knows? Maybe reading into there's, it. There's something to be said for having such strong eyes for one person that you don't even pay attention to that person until mm-hmm. you have reason to. Yeah. Um, little bit of continuity note here. So Tony Stark did not have this new face mask design. In Avengers 5. Oh. But he will have it in the Avengers 6. Okay, In the Avengers 5 and the Avengers 6 lead directly one into the other. And in fact, I feel like in Avengers 5, Kirby really accentuates the points more than they've been before. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I like. I think it looks really cool. But uh, yeah, then it goes away. So well. So you could say that like while they're traveling, while they're in that helicopter, Tony's like playing with helmet designs. (laughs) But he, he can't take his helmet off or they'll know he's Tony Stark. Oh, you're right. They're a horrible team. Why are they my favorite? Like, Fantastic Four know each other. X-Men know their secret identities. X- the Avengers won't even tell each other their lives. Well, at the same time, the Justice League aren't doing that either. Like, the Justice League have sec- complete secret identities right now. Yeah. Wow. You trust them with your life. Captain America says, we'll follow any order that's shouted out, but can't tell them who you are. Mm-mm. Anyway, that's Avengers. This is Iron Man. So, Mandarin. Mandarin. Well, before we get to the Mandarin, Tony Stark is once again being called on the carpet by the military. Yes, they don't want to work with him. I think they really hate the fact that they rely on him. I think they kind of do too, but at least at least they have good cause here. Like his factory is not being attacked at the same time, which is also good. But his the the stuff that he sold them is is crashing and burning, and they're like, dude, what's up? Now I'm not paying attention exactly, but is is this is it maybe the same guy who continues to accuse him of selling them bum products or something? Or is it a different face every time? Um, Senator Byrd could be in this group. Uh, That could be his white hair at the top of page uh, five. Okay. But he's not saying it. The guy behind him is saying it. But anyway. Yeah. Negative Colonel. That guy's a Colonel too, I guess. Yep. Um, Maybe that's Colonel Jameson. Yeah. That's what it it seems like. It seems like the military's involvement with this book is to be J. Jonah Jameson, essentially. And hope for the worst for him. Yep. We got to have a J. Jonah Jameson in all, all the books, right? Yeah. So he, you, you were talking about how he like goes immediately to the idea of the Mandarin. And you know who I thought of? Uh-huh. Doctor Strange. But not that Doctor Strange. Oh. We had another Doctor Strange, didn't we? Iron Man's nemesis villain. And I was like, you know, you know, this... This could be Doctor Strange if if they wanted it to be it it would it would work. Yeah, anytime these heroes think it has to be this guy, I always think, well, there's about five other options. But mm-hmm, at least, yeah, I guess you can get away with that in these really early books when they don't have a lot of options. But um, mm-hmm. you know, they were doing that in the Golden Age too. Like, oh, it has to be Hugo Strange. He's the only one weird enough to create trolls or whatever. So that's um, just how they are. I didn't have a whole lot of notes on the fight tony's pretty quippy which was unusual i thought i think he fe- i feel like he did that last time they fought too um because i remember laughing about that do you think the mandarin is super strong like one of his rings makes him strong or do you think they're really su- like, suggesting that it's just karate skill um i i was trying to find it. i feel like they do say he has some super strength if it okay. wasn't in this issue it might have been the last issue because he's like high yawing through steel metal walls and mm-hmm. stuff. So mm-hmm. that seems crazy powerful. 
Maybe the rings amplify his strength somehow, some way. But then he pulls out his night girl ring from the Legion of Superheroes <laughs> and like shines darkness. I'm going to shine some darkness on you. Tony's whole plan is kind of dumb. It's like, oh man, last time I fought him, he nearly destroyed me. So I'm going to go in as Tony instead. But then he goes in as Tony for three seconds and attacks him as Iron Man. So what was the plan? Either way, you're fighting him as Iron Man and he's going to beat you again. Mm-hmm. What's the point? Weird plan. Weird plan. But whatever. At least he got to do that cool briefcase trick. Yeah. And I don't really have a whole lot to say. It's a cool last page for the cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Like, he's mm-hmm. bound up and Mandarin Sinister. And he's like, oh, if only I had been nice to the people I love. And that's a really neat wolf in the last panel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very artsy way to end the story. I was kind of surprised it ended. This is the second time they've surprised me with a cliffhanger. First being Thor. It's like you think it's going to get resolved and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But okay. I guess we'll find out how he dies next issue. Yep. But meanwhile, and, oh, go ahead. Nope. And then we go to the, the, oh. the tales. Of the I was going to say. Now we have tales of the Watcher, um, and this is also kind of a continuation. It's story by Stan Lee, script and art by Larry Lieber, inking by Schick Stone, and lettering by Art Simek. And it kind of picks up where the last Watcher story left off. If we recall, it explained why the Watchers watch. Because um, they made this big, horrible decision by giving a primitive planet nuclear technology and they killed themselves. So the main guy who's in charge, who wears a yellow cape and has a beard, says, no more. From now on, we'll watch. And w- I think I asked, like, is the Watcher amongst that crew? And at the time you said yes. And I said I wasn't sure. But you were right because as this story picks up, that is the Watcher in the blue cape uh, officially established. And he's like, I'm not sure I agree with you on this whole, like, just watching thing, but okay, I'll try it. So he flies around space as the Watcher, and he comes across this planet with these weird-looking green guy, unicorn-looking guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a problem. They have, like, all this toxic waste that's building up and building up. So their solution is, let's just throw it, catapult it into space. Except one guy's like, yeah, but if you do that, eventually it's going to hit something and... What if that something is a population and then aren't we just like killing them? That's not very nice. It's like, well, we have no choice because we're going to die ourselves. And the Watcher's like, oh, I should watch this. So he watches them catapulted into space. And he's like, he has this big soliloquy Hamlet thing like, oh, to be or not to be. Should I interfere? This thing is going to hit that planet in 20 years or something. And I could stop it, but I'm not supposed to, but I should. And just as he's thinking about all that, like... This planet explodes, and a big chunk of it goes hurtling across space. And he's like, oh, no, that chunk of something is going to hit a planet if I don't do something. But then the chunk of something hits the radioactive chunk of something, and they destroy each other. And so then he's like, wow, by doing nothing, I saved everybody. That guy in the yellow cape was right. Just watching is what we should be doing, because if I had interfered... I would have ruined everything. So I am the watcher. The end. Yeah. These I guys, have problems with this. <laughs> these guys with <laughs> these guys with the big skulls have really tiny brains inside them. Yeah. First off, I love the first page because it's like, my power is supreme, but there's this eternal curse that lies on my head. And this is like, okay, watcher of the angst. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's very animated in this. Usually he just stands stoically. But, okay. So he watches bad things happen. That Uh he could stop more bad things from happening. 
And he's like, no, I must adhere to my oath. I must just watch and, and let the bad things happen. But, oh my gosh, it all worked out for the best. I was right. It is yeah. very morally questionable to choose to stay away whenever you could help. But it's also very human to always convince yourself that you did the right thing. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't like this, but it's also the way a lot of people are. Yeah, but you can end that sentence by saying, yeah, this time. Yeah, this time. So it worked out this time, but that doesn't mean your system is flawless. Right. It's just it's almost like he's saving face at the end. Oh, yeah, it was, it was okay. He was just looking desperately for some reason to buy into this idea because he wasn't buying into it. Mm-hmm. And this worked for him. So, Although we know eventually it doesn't because of all the – uh, Uatus in the world. He's definitely the most interfering. Yeah. Of all the Uatus, he's the Uatuist. Yes. So, yeah, Watcher. This isn't going to go on much longer. No, and I, I I, wonder if they're ever going to retcon any of this malarkey because it's kind of silly, but maybe they do, maybe they don't. I think we have, well, this is 54. Uh-huh. So I think there are four more. You know, the Watcher is kind of this concept that's really cool that I don't know that I needed an explanation for. That's fair. You know what I mean? Like if they didn't explain to me why his race watches, that's cool. There's a race out there with big heads and sometimes they're standing there. And that means usually a really bad thing is going to happen. It's actually a great drama piece mm-hmm. for, a Mar- for a Marvel universe. When a watcher shows up, it's like, uh Oh, awesome. So I didn't need this hackneyed explanation as to why they do it. Now he seems like a moron kind of, but anyway, yeah. Whatever. Okay, well, that brings us to our next book, our penultimate book for March 1964, Strange Tales 121. This because is it, kids. you demanded it. This is, this is the height of drama. We have two stories, uh, starring the Sensational Human Torch, co-starring the mystical Doctor Strange. Okay, that's a really weird banner, because it sounds like they're both in the same story, but no, it they're does. both in the same book. It does. They're just co-starring in a title, sort of. The torch becomes a prisoner of the plant man. And uh, let's get some let's get some credits open here. We've got written in the sensational style of Stan Lee, drawn in the marvelous manner of Dick Ayers, lettered by Art Simic. <laughs> Poor art. Poor art. The they have not taken to like denigrating the letterers. They just don't always say nice things about them. Or, yeah, it just seems like a letdown when he doesn't get a cool thing. Whatever. So, the plant man is back with the costume redesign. He now actually looks like a plant man mm-hmm. instead of just a dude in a wide-brimmed hat with a plant gun. Yeah. Um, we open up with a bit of a recap of who the plant man was. He was the gardener for Mr. Evans in the issue that introduced Dory Evans. And it was through saving the Evanses from the plant man that Johnny met Dory or Maybe he met Dory, and because they were dating, that's why he found out about the problems with the Evanses. I don't remember. It's been five years. So um, the plant man can control stuff with a plant gun, but we broke the plant gun. So, of course, in prison, they let him make a new one. No, he escaped. No prison. Oh, that's right. He's, he goes to some sort of like hidden lab or something. He uh-huh. makes a new plant gun that can control plants so much, they will de-root themselves from their life-giving soil to walk around and prance for his enjoyment. So what does he do? He does something that might be unique in the history of supervillainry. He <laughs> goes 
to his superhero's bedroom and says, yo, I'm the plant man and you're a public superhero. I know where you sleep. So here I am. And Johnny's like, dude, I was was in, in my bed in my pajamas. You call a guy first sometime. And so they argue and Plant Man douses Johnny with water so that Johnny can't turn into the Human Torch. Um, And he's like, you know what? Now that you're all soaking wet, I'm going to go commit some crimes and you can't do anything because you're wet. Also going to lock you in the closet because you can't stop me. I'm the Plant Man and you are a child. So he goes and he controls some plants to rob some people. And Johnny Storm finally breaks out of his closet and turns into the torch and flies around looking for the Plant Man. And he runs into Doris, and Doris is like, I was here at this, this uh, theater, um, and the plant man was there. Are you going to get him? Because he might hurt me and my dad, because my dad fired him, remember? And so Johnny's like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to go tell my friends the Fantastic Four not to butt in. So he goes back to like, hey, Fantastic Four. Like, hey, Johnny, what's going on? He's like, you know the plant man? Yeah, he's back. So and this is personal. It's me and him. Don't butt in. And they're like, oh. The plant man, huh? Yeah, that sounds really dangerous. So um, you just let us know if you need any help with that. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go fight the plant man. So the plant man's hanging out in his house with all the crap he has stolen. And um, Johnny is sitting at home when this plant attacks him. Again, attacked in his own home. And um, he gives a note to Johnny to like meet him somewhere in like the gardens or something. And so Johnny flies over to the gardens and there's the plant man and plant man uses his plant gun, tells the trees to fight Johnny. And there's a fight between the torch and some plants. And the plant man has the best movie. He keeps using over and over this comic. He keeps covering Johnny and water. It's actually a really good move. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually they all win. They all, uh, well, Johnny, what he does is, you know, he's covered in water. He can't do anything, but his hands are dry. So he sends a whole bunch of Fantastic Four flare signals into the air. And Reed and Sue see the Fantastic Four and is like, oh, there's Johnny's signal. Here's what we're going to do. Nothing. <laughs> what? The Fantastic Four see Johnny's signals for help and they're going to do nothing? So Johnny's like, got my hands in the air like I just don't care. And Plant Man's like, fine, I'm going to get you. And he gets up to Johnny, and Johnny's like, okay, fine, you're close to me, now I can punch your face! And that's it, the fight's over. Please show up, they arrest Plant Man, the end. And it's just yeah. like, all yeah. of that for one punch to the face, and yet that that's, that was your plan? Well, and also he's like, hey, FF, don't interfere. But his plan is to call the police. No, 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 the emergency squad. That's what Reed calls, and he's like, the emergency squad are going to show. He's like, okay... <sighs> The police, though. <laughs> yeah, Johnny calls them the police, but it's like, why is it okay to call the police to get you out of trouble, but not your friends on the Fantastic Four? You know? Like, how are you saving face that way? You just had the police rescue you, essentially. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and also, like, they show up they show up and wave their guns, and he immediately surrenders. So it's like, how great of a supervillain is this guy? Like, the police can arrest him. No problem. Did Did you think it was unusual that he was attacking him in the bedroom like that? I thought it reminded me of our conversation last issue where he and Iceman teamed up and we wondered if he ever, if he or the Fantastic Four ever have a problem with a public identity. Mm. Um, and here's the problem. Everybody knows where he lives. He's just lucky that Plant Man is stupid because he could have done a lot worse. Yeah. Like, 
I thought, okay, well, he's locking him in a closet. First of all, I can get out of a closet, and I'm not the human torch, so that doesn't seem that difficult. But I thought, okay, well, the plant man is not a murderer. That's cool. I don't mind when villains don't want to go to the extreme and all that. But then at the end of the issue, he tries to murder Johnny. So now I'm thinking, well, why didn't he just, like, have a big oak tree, like, you know, walk over and crash through the roof and smother him to death or something in his sleep? Right. Instead of instead of just I, I like the uh sorcerer's apprentice tree with the bucket. That was cute. <laughs> yeah. Um when we talked about the plant man last time, you know, it's rare that you have a villain's origin that is so directly tied to like the story and the continuity of the character at the time. So uh-huh. the plant man's origin was tied directly into meeting the girlfriend and the girlfriend's family and all that. Mm-hmm. And we, we talked about are they gonna remember that next time? And so kudos to them for actually remembering it here. It doesn't play into the story at all, except for Dory's there, and they talk about it briefly before they go on. But, you know, I I appreciated the callback. Well, he does go out of his way to have Thing guard Dory. Yeah, that's true. He does tell Thing to go guard Dory. So that was cool. And even though it's a small panel, it was fun to see, you know, the Thing rip apart stupid plants. I was not enjoying Dick Ayers' art here. I feel like a lot of it just feels unfinished or off-model. On page six, the thing's nose looks really weird. It looks like a, it looks like a nose, which it yeah. shouldn't. No, no, it's not good. So, what do you think of the costume? That's like the big takeaway for me because I think it's a downgrade, mm-hmm. much like Iron Man's helmet. Did you like my little head cannon of the four just kind of mocking him there? Um, yeah, they did seem like, like oh yeah, the Plant Man. Okay, well, we'll help you if you need your help. Yeah, they kind of do that a lot, don't they? Like, okay, Johnny, you just go do your thing. And die. And that's about all I had. I felt like the Fantastic Four getting the signal and then like not going to help was like a like another like tropey comic book thing, like out of an old Superboy or something. He called for help, but they're not going to help. What's going on here? Yeah. It's a stupid way to call the police by throwing up your Fantastic Four symbol. Yeah. What it- I read it a little bit differently. He punched the the plant man. So that's kind of him taking the plant man down. Uh-huh. But then, like, I love how the police is, like, approach off panel and just reach in and yoink his mask off. <laughs> what did suddenly you- there are police everywhere. What did you think of his outfit? It reminds me of the super adaptoid. Okay. Interesting. Um, but I think, especially on the cover, I think the cover is probably the best depiction of it. Was it the cover or the splash page? It was the splash page. I kind of like like his lack of his costume was just a trench coat, and then he had like the old green hornet like mask over his nose and mouth thing. Mm-hmm. I thought that looked cooler. This yeah. looks this looks kind of bonkers to me, but but you were always asking for the costume supervillains. I am. So in this case, I guess I'm kind of contradicting myself and thinking like he looked more of a uh, you know a a tougher character with the trench coat, I guess. And this book really depends on the zinger ending line. Like, oh, here's a fish tank, Johnny, because you just fought Aquaman. Uh, oh, here's a... <laughs> yeah. And here's like, here's some candy, Dory. Oh, for a second, I thought it would be a plant. Really? <sighs> he gave you a box with a ribbon on it. You thought it would be a plant? Where do you buy your plants? When are we going to have some Dory stories? Complain, complain. Like, she, she's a non-entity. It's so weird. It is weird. Like, I honestly, I felt like there was going to be more Doris Evans than there has been. She started uh, off so strong, like, hating Human Torch and stuff. I thought that'd be fun. And it's like, she's nothing now. Mm-hmm. Just literally nothing. It's so weird. Anyway. 
So, Doctor Strange? Yeah, that's all I got. Doctor Strange. Okay. So, we have Witchcraft in the Wax Museum. Featuring, once again, the awesome menace of arch-evil Baron Mordo. For the 58th time. Yeah, we went a whole three issues without him. And he's wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. Written by Stan Lee, King of Suspense. Drawn by Steve Ditko, Master of the Macabre. Lettered by Art Simek, Prince of the Lettering Pen. Yay, he got something. Cool. Yeah. And, of course, Doctor Strange is portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Brindle B. Cumberbun. <laughs> All right. So, Baron Mordo is back like a schmo. And Doctor Strange gets a phone call. First of all, he's looking at his globe of spying this. He's like, I feel like there's danger nearby. He gets a phone call. Help, Doctor Strange. Help, help, help. I'm needing help. Here's my address, blah, blah, blah. And Doctor Strange sits down and sends his astral form out, or his ectoplasmic form, or whatever they call it. Um, and he knows that this is Michael Kaiser's favorite move, so he tries to do it. <laughs> yeah. Goes to the address. Nobody there. Huh. This is weird. Oh, crap. Run back to my body. <gasps> My body's gone. And Baron Mordo's head appears. <laughs> I've taken your body. You'll never find it. And even if you do find it, I've cast a spell of protection on it so you can't get to it. And you know that if your spirit is not joined with your body, after 24 hours, your body will die. And Dr. Trin's like, oh, crap. 23 hours later, still can't find my body. Oh, wait. He goes to his chair. And uses his magic to follow the light waves from his body that never really fade. Because that's how physics works. And he follows the light waves of Baron Mordo carrying away his body. And he finds out where the body is hidden, which is in a wax museum. It is stood up and posed like a figure among all the other figures in the wax museum. And he goes to his body and crap, there's a force field around it. And Baron Mordo's like, <laughs> I knew you wouldn't get in your body. And now there's only like three minutes left and or, or, or five minutes. And there's like 25 episodes of Dragon Ball Z during the last five minutes of Planet Namek. <laughs> um, but no. So while he's sitting there gloating, Dr. Strange is like, okay, um, I guess you win. Toodles. And he flies away. And Baron Mordo's like, huh, that was easy. And while he's standing there in the dark and creepy wax museum. The wax statue behind him comes to life and reaches up and taps him on the shoulder. And he's like, oh, but Jesus. And he sends his astral form out of his body to confront whatever it was that got it behind him. And Doctor Strange is like, ha, 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 neener, neener, neener. You're outside of your body. Now I'm going to cast a spell on your body. We can fight on the astral plane because I couldn't fight you while you were in your body because I can't fight bodies. But now that you're in your ectoplasmic form, we can fight. And um, he finds a way to trap Baron Mordo and then get back in his own body. He's like, not going to kill you, dude. But I am going to leave you trapped for 23 hours and 45 minutes. Just so you can know what it's like. And the end. Well, Doctor Strange is white now. Pretty much full-on Caucasian features. Like, there's, there's no more hint of anything else it's it's magic tony stark now which is interestingly timed exactly where he's going to be drawn by jack kirby in the fantastic four uh-huh and i don't know 
what that would mean if it's not a coincidence. I mean, it seems like it could just easily be a coincidence, but what if it's not a coincidence and why wouldn't it be? I don't know. It's just weird. It's weird. I think it makes the character less for me Mm -hmm. because one of the things I like about Doctor Strange is Ditko's art and the way, like, Strange has been very kind of exotic and mysterious looking this whole time. And now he just looks like a dude. Kind of weird. I also feel and, like I also feel like he phoned it in a little bit on this issue, and I wonder if that's because he put a lot more energy into his Mysterio Spider-Man story this mm-hmm. month because that was really good. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, you know, you have panels like page five, panel two, and page two, panel two, that are just you know the facial features that he has here are completely one hundred percent different mm-hmm. than they were when the series was starting out. Or Baron even the last Mordo. issue. Yeah. Yeah. Baron Mordo looks the same. Mm-hmm. Well, he's you know, a villain. Maybe Eastern European, maybe Slavic, you know, just, just not quite your usual kind of face. And and yet they have changed Doctor Strange's face. So even if you, the listener slash reader, do not agree with our interpretation that he was an Asian American character who has now been made into a Caucasian American character. There's got to be some reason for why the art changed Mm -hmm. for a year. Dr. Strange looked completely different. Yep. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh It's weird. Here's a cool story though. I mean, Baron Mordo's back. So you're kind of like, Oh, grown, but it was different. It wasn't, I mean, they did end up fighting in there. Now they call it ectoplasmic self. I think this is the first time they're doing that. They were calling it astral projection. Now it's ectoplasma. I think they were calling it like spirit self or something. I don't think we've used the term astral form yet. But ecto seems so sciencey. I'm surprised they went with that. Like, yeah, like I remember as a kid learning the word ectoplasm as part of Ghostbusters. Exactly, and maybe that's why I associate it with science because it's not supposed to be magic or whatever. But because of Egon. But uh, yeah, that doesn't sound as mystical as astral form or spirit form. Ectoplasmic. Mm-hmm. self kind of weird but cool idea like while he's gone his body's stolen that's sort of interesting yeah uh, i kind of hate when people steal my body yeah but i do use my body more than dr strange seems to use his so it's a good strategy um but i don't know what else to say and i realized during this story baron mordo is vegeta from dragon ball z all of vegeta's hatred of goku is just because he wants to be the strongest saiyan there is Yep. And that's all he cares about. And that's Baron Mordo. He just wants to be the he wants to be the strongest sorcerer. Yeah. And he's jealous of Doctor Strange. And you ever wonder about those characters like what's the goal here? What happens when you win? Now what? Right. You know? Okay. okay. You're the most powerful. You're, do you want, do you're you want the to most powerful. You're the most powerful. You're in charge. Do you have any plans for us? Are you just going to let us wither and die? Or are you going to rule like with an iron hand or a nice hand or, you know, or it's like, like Doctor Who speech, like, who's going to, are there going to be violins? Who's going to make the violins? You know, like you don't have a plan. Right. <laughs> You're just trying to take over the world. But then what happens? You know, come on. Anyway. So um looking to see if I have anything else to say about this. Um I don't feel like, well, I already made the comment about the light in the, in the course of the recap. Um Page eight, panel one. What does it say? It says, oh, yeah. So in his ectoplasmic form, he can't affect living things, which makes sense. You are a spirit form. You can't go around 
controlling living creatures uh-huh. or controlling the physical realm at all. Unless you're dead. But man. they do make the distinction you can, yeah, you, you can control a wax figure, but not a living being, which mm-hmm. is an interesting distinction. Any thoughts on why that might be? Well, if we all have this astral form inside us and we just can't do anything like they can do something, maybe there's no room for them inside us. But a wax figure doesn't have anything inside it because, you know, it's obviously not alive. There's no soul or spirit or ectoplasma in there. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess you can just... That makes sense. Possess it. And, um, oh, there's a misprint. Okay. Page eight, panel five. Farewell, Dr. Doom. Oops. Farewell, vanquished one. Wait, Doctor Who? Exactly. That's my favorite page in the story, page eight. And yeah. If anybody, ca- um, if anybody cares about art. Say that again. That's my favorite. Art-wise, that's my favorite page in the story is page eight. I like that. Like where he thinks he's beating Doctor Strange, but really he's beating an astral projection of an astral projection. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just a cool uh, dynamic show of power. It is cool. It feels like he's beating, like... like uh, bludgeoning Doctor Strange into that corner. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really him. Psych. Ha ha. And at the end of the story, it says, important notice, Doctor Strange guest stars in the fabulous Fantastic Four 27 on sale now. Guess we should read next that. up in our list, kids. We should read that. Let's we should read, read the Fantastic Four 27. Well, luckily I have, because I have to now tell us all about it. Um, still May, March 10th. I don't know why I say that. There's only two... Weeks in the month still. So it's always going to be March 10th until we're done with this month. But uh, mm-hmm. cover date of June 1964. Title, The Search for Submariner. <sighs> Submariner again. But now he's at least back in the Fantastic Four. So that's nice. It says, with special guest star, the sensational Doctor Strange. Now, we don't normally talk about covers on the show all that much. Unless they're super mm-hmm. classic. But I got to say, you know, for a Doctor Strange, like, guest starring, I kind of feel like this ain't the greatest cover because really yeah he's like not really he's in the back and he's painted green to almost where he sort of blends into the sunset you don't even really see him almost unless you look twice sort of weird well he he stands out from the surrounding characters yeah but as he the way like you said the way he's green it's like he's a background figure not a startling figure he's like a statue or something anyway right i just thought that was kind of weird this is his first guest appearance. Poor guy. First time we're acknowledging he's part of a universe. Yeah, I made note of that too. This is because in his own book, Doctor Strange has said nothing about the other characters. No. And here he is appearing in somebody else's book. All right, so let's see. Presented by the most talked about team in comics, Stanley and Jack Kirby, author and illustrator extraordinary, inked by George Bell, lettered by Sam Rosen. And it starts off with the Mr. Fantastic creating a thinking hat, and he's thinking uh, debauchery thoughts about Susan, and the design of the hat is that the thoughts then come to life. So our opening splash is essentially Susan in a bikini. And then she's like, I don't really appreciate that. And so he takes it off, and then he's like, puts it on the thing, and he's like, now, don't think about Dr. Doom, okay? So the thing thinks about Dr. Doom, and that shocks him and knocks him on his back. And we're really not sure what the point of this thing is because nothing else, nothing really comes of it. So we'll skip the rest of that. Um, we cut to, oh, she walks away kind of mad, like, 
I don't want to know about your guys' pervy thoughts, and you're definitely not putting that thing on my brain, so I'm leaving. And everybody sort of chuckles, and Reed goes, you know, I'm going to marry that girl. I'm going to pick up a ring right now. And they're all, yay, and they high-five. But meanwhile, cut to Atlantis, or what was left of Atlantis, uh, and 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 Submariner decides, no, I can't. I have some people back. I got them back in Avengers 4. But I can't rule without a queen. So I'm going to, he declares to the people, I'm going to go get the human woman above, Sue Storm, and make her my wife. And they're like, you're the worst king ever. And they leave. So now he has no people again. Uh, But he's still going to go get her. So he dresses up in a suit and a hat. And since they're public figures, he knows exactly where to go. And he kind of just storms in. And he gasses the thing with an Atlantean gas gun. And then he vacuums the human torches fire with a vacuum Atlantean gun and he steals Sue and she's like, I'll go with you, but um, you know, Reed's going to stop you. Please don't kill him and don't let him kill you. And she kind of just goes, doesn't really. Oh no. He gasses her too. I'm sorry. She doesn't, she does put up a fight sort of, she isn't going to go. He gasses her, takes her. They all wake up. Reed comes back all happy, skipping with like a, you know, ring in his hand and is, I'm going to propose. And they're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> he like came in and stole her, that namer guy. Reed goes crazy because normally he's not, you know, emotional. This time he's emotional and he like goes all crazy and he's going to go fight Submariner alone. And the thing and uh, Torch try and stop him, but he like throws them around. And then he goes to Cerebro and like scans the earth. Until he can find the Submariner. Meanwhile, Thing and Human Torch are like, gosh, never seen him like this. He's going to die if he goes down there and tries to fight him himself. What can we do? I don't have any idea. Like, I mean, Reed has like these hocus pocus, uh, you know, machines that can help him find Submariner. What do we have? And Human Torch is like, hocus pocus? I got this awesome idea. So he flies out the window and writes in fire, you know, Doctor Strange, help us. And so Doctor Strange, meanwhile, is at his lair looking at his Cerebro, and he sees uh, the message, of course. So he sends his ectoplasmic form to the Fantastic Four, which is now just Thing and Human Torch. And he's like, what's up? It's like, well, they tell him the story. And he's like, okay, that sounds like a problem. I'll go find where this Submariner guy is. So he has his form that can go underwater, and he's got the amulet that can search for things. And he finds the Submariner who's got... Susan in like a glass case because that's how he pretty much perceives the relationship. Um, and he goes back to tell Human Torch and the thing. While that's happening, the Mr. Fantastic guy also finds the Submariner. He took a pill that let him breathe underwater for an hour, one of his sciency pills. And he just comes in and starts fighting. Like, there's no talk. He's mad. Uh, he has a hot. There's like a hot button, you know, with the Submariner that's happened previously. He doesn't like the guy. Submariner doesn't like him back. They get into a big fight. One of those fights where they each tell each other their power over and over again. I'm super strong. Well, I'm super stretchy. Well, I'm super strong. I'm super stretchy. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Namor's people come back. They decided they didn't act very loyal. So they show up. And now Mr. Fantastic is outnumbered. But not to fear because Doctor Strange returns to the the, uh, Baxter building and helps the thing and Human Torch get there in the blink of an eye with his magic instead of making them, you know, use a submarine or something. They show up. Um, they start beating on the uh, on the soldiers. And Reed goes back to fighting with Submariner. 
Um, meanwhile, the Human Torch slips off and he rescues his sister. They get into some shenanigans. But when they come back, they find that uh, the thing is basically juggling all the all the soldiers while and keeping them distracted so that Reed and the Submariner can fight mano a mano. Um, human or uh, Submariner finally gets the upper hand and things like, fine, I'm going to have to step in and beat you now. But the uh, soldiers like shoot this electric ray at him, which doesn't knock him out. He, he withstands it, but it kind of distracts him. Meanwhile, Reed Richards recovers because he had enough time. They fight some more. And then Reed finally gets him into like a rubber bandy slingshot thing and shoots the Submariner through his soldiers and they all fall over. Submariner comes back with a big gun. He's going to kill everybody. He shoots. It doesn't hurt the thing. Then he tries to punch Reed, but he can't get through. Turns out that Invisible Woman, Invisible Girl, is using her new shield powers to shield her friends. And she says, listen... I'm sorry you uh, misunderstood this whole business with us. I do have affection for you, but I kind of just feel like you're a sad puppy. I don't really love you the way I love Reed. And nothing's going to change that. So stop being a weirdo. Um, This kind of irritates the Submariner. But Doctor Strange has been watching this whole time. And he's like, "Uh uh-oh, this is getting out of hand. So I better pull these guys out. So he twiddles his fingers and yoink. They're, They're in their submarine. And they're leaving, um, and that leaves like Neymar and his people, you know, to complain. I guess we don't really know what happens to them. But meanwhile, Reed's like, "So did you really mean that? Do you really love me, or did you just say that to, you know, get him to stop beating on us?" And she's like, uh, "No, yeah, let's uh, uh, not talk about it right now." And so in his mind, she doesn't really love him, and in her mind, she totally loves him, and that's the end. Yeah. She hasn't had, like, a really super harrowing day, so she may not want to talk about, you know, yeah, relationship stuff right now. Well, not in a freaking, um, you know, submarine with all four members of the Fantastic Four. Mm. Yeah, everyone's right there, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah, this was it's kind of a weirdly structured issue. Uh-huh. Like, there's shenanigans at the beginning. Yeah. That takes us into, you know, Reed going crazy over Susan getting captured but then like they need dr strange to find where reed went and then fight at the end so dr strange is more like a like a a vehicle for johnny and the thing to get down there and that's about all he does in the story kind of like the ant-man appearance huh yeah like they just they needed his help to shrink and that's about all they really did you are correct sir i mean i think he went down to help him and he got captured but he didn't do much yeah, because if 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 the uh, what's his name, Doctor Strange went, I'm pretty sure the whole fight would have not taken very long. Mm-hmm. So they kind of had to keep an excuse for him to just kind of stay out of it because he's too powerful. So is it just me, or does it kind of feel like, oh, here's Namor again? Well, it makes more sense for him to be, oh, here's Namor here. I felt that way when he was in the Avengers. It's like, yeah. why is he here? Why does he care about the Avengers? This is weird. And his, his his motivation there wasn't really that clear. Like, he manipulated the Hulk into helping him attack the Avengers. Mm-hmm. But and why? That, yeah, but why? Yeah. That story led to the Avengers getting turned to stone by Broccoli Head, which led to another fight with Namor, because he was behind Broccoli Head too. And actually, the continuity on that was kind of weird. We didn't talk about the time, but Broccoli Head says, I got this stone turning gun from namor several days ago mm-hmm. which means that namor must have set that up before the stuff with the hulk <laughs> so he assumed he would lose 
I guess, or he had another plan in motion and then it didn't work out. And so he's like doing this other thing with the Hulk. I don't know. But it's like all this motivation there was weird. It's just like humans have caused me to lose my kingdom and I hate the Avengers or I hate I, humans. So I'm going to fight the Avengers. I think what he said was like, I want to take over the world. So I need to defeat the Avengers, which is one of those excuses. Same with Dr. Doom. The only people who could stop me, I have to defeat them first. But it seemed out of place because his his superhero villains are the Fantastic Four and have been. So mm-hmm. kind of weird. But so now he's he back. Finds some, now he's back and it makes more sense. Yeah. He randomly found some Alien soldiers and now I guess they've stuck with him. But he's also taken to wearing that awesome crown he had back in Fantastic Four Annual number one. Mm-hmm. And a fur cape <laughs> in the water. I noticed that. Yeah. It's gross. It's weird. Where would that, what, was that from a sea cow or, you know, like, where'd that come from? Yeah. Like, what's that pelt? And does it, how long before it starts, like, being really, really raunchy? Or do they have rooms that, that's the thing about the whole underwater business. Like, the whole fight, I assume, is in a room that does not have water. Because at some point, someone tries to release water into a room and drown Sue and mm-hmm. so there's no water. So do the Atlanteans go around in rooms with no water? That seems odd. Like, yeah, Susan is in a dome, and you would think that that dome was separating her needing air from water, but no. But it's just like inside the Submariner's throne room. It's all can air. Atlanteans survive out of water. I know Namer can, but when they attacked Earth or when they attacked the surface in the annual, were they wearing? Water breather things, or were they just out and about? Yeah, they were wearing, like, water containment suits, where they were yeah. constantly in water, because they could only be out of water for, like, an hour or two or something yeah. for a short amount of time. So, so it's anytime weird. they spend in their king's throne room. Yeah. Why does he create a throne room they can't hang in? That's weird. Yeah, that is weird. Oh, well. Um, I didn't have a whole lot to say about the opening scene, but I do want to talk about the timing that Torch mentions regarding the engagement. Okay. So page three, panel three, um, Reed says, I had planned to go out and shop for a ring later today. And Torch says, some surprise. She's been waiting for it for the past two years. Huh? Yeah. That is definitely either exaggeration or supposition on Johnny's part. So I did some looking. Mm-hmm. One year ago, publication time was issue 15. And in issue 14, We talked about how Reed was starting to be flirty with Sue again, but it was almost like he was pressuring her and Sue was not reciprocating at all. And I think we kind of interpreted at the time that she was still trying to sort out her feelings because they had been engaged. They had broken that off. And now Namor was there, which kind of confused her a little bit for a little while. But she was not being affectionate toward Reed one year ago. So maybe the first engagement, he never got around to getting her a ring? Maybe. And that's what he's talking about? I don't know. That seems like a long time, two years. Mm-hmm. It also seems just like, I guess that's just the 60s, but just like uh, you know, where Jan and Hank are just starting to sound like they like each other, and then he goes for engagement, and now we got Fantastic Four, where I feel like they just started liking each other again, and they're going yeah, for since- engagement. I think since roughly around the time of the annual, they've been affectionate. We've seen them being affectionate. They've mm-hmm. they've been lovey-dovey for a few issues now, but it's going fast. straight for engagement? It's fast. 
again, he just wants to marry her. Euphemism time. Yeah, and Tony Stark loves Pepper Potts. So this is just a month for fast relationships, I guess. For fast relationships. Um, Page five. Okay. And the fifth panel, he's uh, Namor's in his suit, and he's fighting the torch. He throws a vacuum pellet at him. He says, for as you know, flame cannot burn in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Namor, are you very snidely referring to the events of issue six when you saw Johnny try to fly into space as the human torch and it didn't work? I don't know where the vacuum is, though, because Johnny's just laying on the floor and there's air everywhere. So where's the vacuum? Yeah, I guess it just like sucked it off of him real quick. Yeah. So this bit, yeah, like Sue is just so... So, and maybe that's just 60s wine, whatever, but Sue is so, um, like, what's the right word? Um, um, passive about mm-hmm. anything that has to do with Namor. Like, this whole four panels of no, don't, stop, don't, stop, don't stop, don't stop. You know, like, it just seems like that. Like, if she was really sure of her feelings, it would be more like, you know, I don't care. She's like, have you forgotten about Reed Richards? Be careful. Don't kidnap me. It's like, really, she should be like, no, I don't like you. I don't care if you beat up the thing, the Human Torch, and Reed Richards. I don't like you. I will never date you regardless of their health status. And then, like, punch him in the face, you know? Yeah. That would make more sense. But she doesn't do that. She's just like, oh, no, don't hurt them. And, you I know, kinda like you. Land, this is what people talk about whenever they mean agency. Susan Storm has no agency in these events. She's not in any control of her life. Her status in her own marital relationships is completely dependent upon what other people decide about her. Uh-huh. And that's that's not good. At least that's how it has been mm-hmm. up until the end of this story, where she finally is like, no, I won't let you hurt them. I'm not going to date you. I'm leaving. You know? Yeah. Finally. Finally. But it takes forever. Finally, she steps in and, and does her, you know, her human force field and stops the fighting and yeah. says, you know what? Listen. Yeah. And that's when she takes a little bit of, you know, a little bit of control. Now, how many issues of Submariner have we had before she finally did that, though? And I guess you could argue that maybe legitimately she did like him at first. Mm-hmm. She's kind of playing it back now and saying, no, not really. I always had sympathy for you, but I never really liked you. But it's like, yeah, right. You had his picture in your bookcase, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, that's a little that. bit of that rationalization of that we were talking about with uh, the Watcher story. It's just like, yeah, you're just you're just rationalizing yeah. the way you did things. Yep, hindsight. Um, page seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like the reasoning makes sense. Boy, if last panel, boy, if any of those wise guys who claim that Reed does the thinking while we do the fighting could see him now. I don't like it, kid. If he tackles Namor without us, anything can happen. We've got to find a way to reach Submariner first. Like, you you don't want Reed to fight the Submariner, so you're going to go fight the Submariner? I also feel like every time they have a line like that, that Human Torch says, they're directly addressing something in the letter columns. Yeah, exactly. I and felt the same thing. I only feel that way in this in this title. I don't know why they care so much in the Fantastic Four, what the readers think. Because I never feel like they talk to the readers or address the readers' concerns in, like, say, Thor or Iron Man or something. It's only this one. Yeah, you're right. It's weird. It's like this book has a particular relationship with the readership Yeah, it's like, that none of the other books engage in. It's like anybody who thinks Sue shouldn't be part of the team, they don't understand this. 
Yeah. Right. You just don't get what comic books are. Do you even comic book, bro? <laughs> so someone somewhere wrote, Reed doesn't do anything, which I think, you know, I actually like that. I've always thought it was fun that, like, you know, they do all the work while Reed's in the background inventing some device that's going to save the day, you know, uh, right. and not be the physical guy. But I guess back then they didn't like that. So page eight, Human Torch puts the words in the air. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Peter Parker was like walking up, walking down the street. He looks up and says, huh, well, that's weird. Why does he want me to help him? Yeah, right. Man, we forgot to talk about an amazing Spider-Man. Doesn't he slam Human Torch at some point? I forget. That's that's in back- the Mysterio story? Yeah, that's backpedaling a little bit. But I remember reading that going, oh, cool. There's like a little... I don't uh, remember that line. But it, yeah, if think about it. We should bring it back up later. Anyway. Um, okay, so this is weird. Panel four of page eight. Uh-huh. If you, dear reader, are a faithful follower of Strange Tales magazine, you know that there is a Doctor Strange. And I was like, okay, I feel like you're hyping up Strange Tales. You want the readers to go read Strange Tales. And here's Doctor Strange. And that should be motivation for kids to go read Strange Tales, uh-huh. which stars the Human Torch. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Did we connect those dots before, though, that his name is Doctor Strange and he's in Strange Tales? I guess that's not enough of a drew. Yeah. Well, that's why they called him Strange. Okay, good. I mean, it makes sense. I'm not sure I ever they thought about that, They were going to do Mr. Though. Strange, where they, uh, they chose Doctor instead. Of course. That's just, you know, more professional. What do you think of Kirby's Strange? Um, now that we've read Doctor Strange looking like future Doctor Strange will look. Mm-hmm. I think Kirby's actually doing a pretty good job with that. Um, yeah. Especially the astral form yeah. on um, page nine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do they call it astral form in this? No, I think Ectopl- they call it. They're still using ectoplasmic form. Ectoplasmic form again. They're being consistent. Yeah. Stan must have got uh, a book. Co- yeah. He did some cool things like like the whole walking through the wall and mm-hmm. then the thing putting his hands through. And that's some cool stuff. It is very cool. And it was a fun interaction. Mm-hmm. Using his medallion like a superhero power is very Kirby. Yep, yep. So um, I used to do a lot of Golden Age reading. And, you know, in Golden Age comics, you had a lot of books that were anthology books. You'd have a 64-page comic, and it would have, like, a whole bunch of strips in it with all of these different superheroes. And occasionally you would have two strips in the same book that, like, the story would cross over between them. And I always thought that was kind of a really cool gimmicky idea. Marvel Mystery Comics did it with Torch and Submariner. Um, Whiz Comics did it, I think, with um, Ibis and and Captain Marvel, maybe, or somebody would cross over in Whiz Comics. And, of course, you get to the Silver Age, and Action Comics has one or two crossovers with the Superman and Supergirl strips, where they make one story together. So, with the Torch and Doctor Strange both being in Strange Tales mm-hmm. and the Torch calling Doctor Strange into the story here, I kind of feel like this is a little bit of that in a weird oh, way. I didn't even think about that. That's true. Yeah, yeah. The, the Torch knowing who Doctor Strange is. Although they do right. they do both kind of go like, see, he wasn't real. But that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of the status he's had, even in his own stories. Like, is he real? Is he not real? So Yeah, he's only just recently had some more public appearances that maybe Torch might have heard about. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know the one person might be able to find Namor, the one man who knows Hocus Pocus. Wait for me, Ben. Yeah. And the Torch knows what a Doctor Strange is because he's read the back of his comic books. Right. Yep. And yeah, um, Kirby is drawing dick. We talked about that. 
Okay, so Namor and the way he's treating Sue is such an example of toxic masculinity, which probably surprises absolutely no one. Yeah, so his argument is, you just need to give me 24 hours to tell you how I love you. Cause I need to force you into 24 hours of companionship to prove to you I love you. Because Reed gets access to you all the time and gets to go on dates and stuff, and I don't get anything. So I'm going to keep you in this glass case for 24 hours so that you can hear how much I love you. And then you'll be convinced. And I think you know at, what? I think at some point she's even like, yeah, but I don't like you back. And he's like, that's impossible. I picked you for my wife. You know what modern movement this is an exact, exact parallel to? What? The incels. Uh-huh. Wow. Namor's an incel. That's really sad because I think of him as a stronger person than that. But in this case, Maybe, yes. You know what? We can say that he's just at a really down point in his life because he can't find his freaking kingdom. And remember, he's and mentally he's unstable. He is mentally unstable because he's had too much water. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. You really just like completely ruined that entire storyline with that one sentence. That was interesting. <laughs> How is that really working? Did I get it wrong? No, you totally got it wrong, but you made it just sound so stupid now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to. You know what your problem is, Namor? You have too much water. <laughs> I bought into it at the time, but they didn't say it like that. So yeah, now it doesn't yeah. make any sense. So I think he's just having a really down time. Now, Namor is never the best human being, never the person you want to really emulate. But no. um, he's, he's at a lower point than usual here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he accuses Reed of, like, cheating him out of his 24 hours. And I'm like, dude, it's not cheating if you never had the right to the 24 hours in the first place. Anybody out there who's listening who writes us letters, maybe write in a a cool story where, like, Namor and Sue reflect on these times with, you know, some sort of humor or something. Like, remember that time you you were crazy and kidnapped me 25 times? Yeah, how would modern Sue and modern Namor reflect yeah. back on this incident? Yeah, because this must have still happened. Right. So, no, I, I, it, it, yeah. yeah. The Marvel conceit is that everything's in continuity. Yep. Um, okay, we get okay. So I had a thought. We get to page thirteen and all of his soldiers who left him come back. <laughs> and I and I just I just want to talk about these guys for a second. So I'm imagining like this big Atlantean political drama. That's like going on behind the pages of the Fantastic Four. Uh huh. So Namor is the deposed prince. Right. He should be the prince of Atlantis. Dorma and Krang have declared him persona non grata. Mm-hmm. But like, there's this undercurrent, right, of loyalty to Namor because he he's the son of the old king. He's the rightful heir. He should be on the throne, but these people who are in charge of our land have kicked him out. So they tell stories of how Namor had found his people, but his people wrongly abandoned him. And there's like this this fringe faction of loyalists, and some of them have found Namor, and now they've joined him. And so Namor's like, I want to marry the person from the surface. And they're like, no, you can't do that and be, be an Atlantean prince. But then later on, they're like, well, you know, wait a second. Namor himself is the product of love with a surface human. So 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 maybe he's in the right after all. And they come back and like decide to be loyal to him again. And it's just like it's part of the whole like ongoing political drama. And that's what I really want to be going on here. It, these are the most 
off-camera loyal soldiers ever because because <laughs> like in Avengers four they show up. Remember the panel where they show up is just like Namer's head going, "Hey, there's some soldiers. They're showing up." Like we don't even see them show up. Remember that? It's like weird. It's just weird dialogue. That's these guys. And then mm-hmm. and then there's just one panel of them leaving at the beginning of the story, which is kind of weird. Usually a revolution would require more interest. And then there's just one panel of right. them deciding to come back. So all that stuff you just said must be going on somewhere, but it sure isn't anywhere we get to see. And they call themselves right. they call themselves the Submariners. Well, yeah, because Namor is the Submariner, but like Going back to Marvel Comics number one, he's the race of Submariners. Yeah, I was going to say, usually don't they call themselves Atlanteans? So it kind of stuck out to me that he said, we must be worthy of the name Submariners. Yeah. My understanding is that Namor is only the Submariner from the point of view of humans. Makes sense. the Martian Manhunter. Yeah, his own people wouldn't call him that? Yeah. Anyway. So they're 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 all Submariners, I guess. Yeah. But, um, or maybe, or maybe, maybe if we want to, and, and maybe this is what you were trying to say, and I'm just misunderstanding your point, but maybe that being loyalists to Namor, they are the submariners. Well, that's what I was wondering. If this is like a select faction that, you know. I like that idea. I don't know. Otherwise, that's what you're saying. But yeah, I like that idea. Maybe. I do like when they're juggled. That really was awesome. That was cool. So Doctor Strange starts doing his Hocus Pocus. And Thing is like, wait a second, how do we know he ain't Doctor Doom in disguise? And at first I was like, that's really dumb to say, but then I was like, wait a second, the Thing has actually dealt with sorcery. Doctor Doom is a sorcerer, and that's the Thing's only experience with sorcery so far, so maybe it's not not too dumb. It's really not too dumb to say in the Marvel Universe in general to suspect that somebody is somebody else, so. (laughs) You might be Doctor Doom wearing a janitor's disguise. (laughs) Right. Or a scroll. This janitor disguise? Yeah. Uh We get to uh, page 15. Uh-huh. And again, I'm just kind of going through this. So if you if oh, stop, it's free. But um, panel two reads like, I'm going to fight Namor. He's my person. And Thing says, okay, tall man, but how's about giving me sloppy seconds? <laughs> okay. I knew where this was going to. Yeah. I forgot to look it up, but I was wondering if sloppy seconds had anything outside of a sexual connotation. Yeah. It's like. Because I don't think it does, but... Is it one of those phrases that used to mean something non-sexual <laughs> that only means something sexual now? Because it's, if that's not true, then that's a real faux pas on Sam's part right there. Yeah, he really pulled a boner on that one. Yeah, see? Okay. See, see, what, see, what, see what I did there? Sloppy seconds, yes, I'm looking up on Wiki really fast. Okay. Yeah, it's all about the SEX, folks. So yeah. there's nothing else that thing could be referring to right there. Weird. Yeah, it's weird. I like that Namor uh, brings out the non-logical, uh, you know, emotional side of Reed more than anything else in this universe right now. Yeah. Yeah, I like that about Reed in this. I mean, he kind of goes off, not even half-cocked. He goes off-cocked and yeah. just really goes crazy about his love for Sue and how Sue's been captured and it's Namor again and I want to kill that guy. Yeah, I mean, he's not correct in how he's handling it, but it's different. Usually he's more rational mm-hmm. and cold about things. So, yeah, two guys fighting over who gets to love her is kind of stupid. But yeah, yeah. But we know that page nineteen thing gets zapped by electricity and keeps on coming. Uh huh. And I feel like this is a Ben Grimm 
who just recently went toe-to-toe with the Incredible Hulk. Uh-huh. And he came out not too much worse for wear from that fight. Yeah. So a little zappy zap is not going to phase him. I mean, he mostly couldn't win because he got tired, not because he was, like, you know, bleeding and crushed to death. Right. Just got worn out. Yeah, you can only swing punches so many times, I guess. Oh, and Namor says, what if I am the one she chooses? All I ask is a chance to hear her decision. And I'm like, you have heard her decision. She told you to bugger off. Did she? I thought earlier she's like, no, I, I you know, there's Reed. And All right, so. I don't know. Maybe she was being too wishy-washy. That's what words. I'm saying. She keeps being wishy-washy. She doesn't just say, go. She says, what are you, what do you mean, Namor? And he says, I know, blah, blah, I love you. She says, no, don't say it, Namor. You mustn't. You haven't the right. Have you forgotten about Reed? So she puts it on Reed that that's why she can't be with him because of Reed. Not because I don't want to be with you. Because of Reed. So now his crazy pointy head is thinking, okay, well, I'll convince you about that I'm better than Reed or I can beat up Reed or whatever. She never just straight up says, leave me alone. She does say, let me out. Yes. Do you think you can make me confess I love you by imprisoning me? Yes. But that just kind of spurs his idea of if you're here and just can understand and listen to me, you'll get it. Yeah. Um, But then she's like, if Freed finds you, nothing will save you. I agree that they could be writing her more forthrightly. Mm -hmm. At the same time, she has said enough. Oh, yeah. To make it clear. He's clearly wrong. He's the villain in this story. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's, she's just always been wishy-washy around the Submariner and up until page 22, where she finally is just like, no, it's read or bust for me. Yeah. In fact, I was reading through this. I was reading on page 21, and I was thinking, wow, this would all be so much better if Susan were actually here fending off Namor and getting them out of there. Uh-huh. And then turn the page, and there she shows up, and it's pretty great. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, we don't really get to see his reaction. I guess – we do by way of Doctor Strange, because Doctor Strange is like, that fool looks like he's going to go crazy. I better get them out. Yeah, we see Namor's raised fist in the crystal ball. And there. that's it. So we don't know, like, afterwards if he goes, okay, I accept her decision. Or if he's, like, you know, screaming at the walls like, she will be mine. We don't know. We'll find out. Probably next also, issue. I don't think we've ever seen Doctor Strange using a crystal ball before. Oh, that, that seems weird. Yeah, especially since earlier when he was... Oh, yeah, he's using a crystal ball, so at least that's consistent. Yeah, that was Kirby. He, he has that globe that he stares at and gets bad feelings about, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, the, um, the Sanctorium looks different under Kirby's pencils than it does with Ditko. Yeah, yeah, it does. Quite a bit. So Susan's last words to Namor are, the one thing an Imperial Command cannot affect is a girl's heart. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, Namor. Sorry if you misunderstood the sympathy I felt for you. Even the affection I felt, sorry if you thought it was love, but I realize now Reed is the only man for me. Nothing can ever change that. Mm-hmm. And well, I guess we talked about this earlier. This is like, okay, regardless of how she should maybe or not be forthright earlier in the story here, she's like, I never really loved you yeah. and you misunderstood. And I think that she actually gave him some other indicators earlier in the series. I agree. I think she's fooling herself a little bit. She's fooling herself a little bit, which is not to say anything about the uh, the events of this issue. No, no. Because this issue, you know, Namor's completely wrong, but earlier in the series. Well, I mean, and this is where her heart is now, so it's fine. It doesn't matter if two months ago she loved him. If she's telling him now, I don't. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. But. That's how it works. She's also just like, I think she's rewriting history a little bit with the whole, like, I just, 
I had affection for you. I didn't really like you like you. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I don't believe that. And so they're back on the sub. And they're like, huh, okay, I guess we're going home now. And Reed's like, Sue, about what you said just now. And she's like, you know what? I, I don't want to discuss it. I'm just still really shaken. And so Thing Butt said, <laughs> hey, you didn't just say what you did in order to prevent any more fighting, did you? And Reed jumps in, you know what? I don't even want to know the answer to that. I think I'd rather not know your answer. And I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, dude, Reed, good job being a dude, making this all about you. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I'm also kind of like, he's lost her before. And I can understand why there might be some uncertainty in his mind. But at the same time, she has done a pretty good job at making her affections clear. It, so if she says in panel, uh, whatever, on page 23, if she says, um, oh, no, thing, you're totally wrong. I legit love Reed. Then we're not going to have five more stories of him wondering. So this is true. So he has to cut it off so that she can then just think, I love you so much. She thinks about it in her head and Reed drives on with the uncertainty and anguish filling his heart. Which is weird because, like you said, they have been dating and stuff. Yeah. They went to like a beach with his rocket ship the other day or the other issue, you know. And they were on that cruise yeah. and hanging out at the pool. So and- what's his problem? He doesn't understand that she's into him? I guess Neighbor's just a sore spot and ruins everything every time he crops up. That happens. Yeah. And th- but this is a storytelling world where one date can mean you're ready to get married. So uh-huh. you think you'd be a little bit more secure, but maybe not. So they're really pushing all these triangles. What do we got? We got Reed, not triangles, but uh, love, doubt, thing, dramas. We got Reed and Sue again. Mm-hmm. We got... Uh, now we're going to have Tony loves pepper. Tony loves pepper. Now we've still got, we've actually reestablished wasp and giant man being confused. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they, they, they reaffirmed it at the end, but they had confusion during their story. Oh, that's true. Betty and Peter have been, th- Betty and Peter have been thrown in the air. Uh-huh. And there's still Jane and Don though. I feel like they're not really, well, they've been doing something with it. They, you know, what's weird is Jane and Don, they do more about with Odin than with actually Jane and Don. Yeah, Thor and Odin argue over Jane more than Don and Jane actually get to interact. <laughs> it's kind of stupid, but anyway. But that brings us to the end of March 1964. Karen Page and Matt, well, that hasn't happened yet, but you know that'll happen by no. issue two. Yeah, yeah, but we'll have issue two. That's actually next episode. Yeah, because they hinted at it already. Oh, he's such a sensible, mm-hmm. wonderful person, but he's blind. He's a blind man. Oh, if only I could tell you how I feel about you, but I'm blind. I am the lame doctor. I am the blind lawyer. <laughs> he's so good. He deserves love. Too bad he's a cripple. <laughs> so this month we had the Avengers 5. Oh, okay. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. With the Lava Men. Uh-huh. We had Journey into Mystery 104, where Odin came to Earth to fight some giants. Sergeant Fury 7, where they court-martialed Sergeant Fury because they thought that he had disobeyed orders. Tales to Astonish 56, where Giant Man fought the Magician. The X-Men number 5, against the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, the Angel was trapped, and turns out that Xavier is willing to fake his own loss of powers just to prove a point to his students. Mm -hmm. Amazing Spider-Man 13, with Mysterio... Spider-Man's a criminal, and Betty Brant suddenly realizes the green tongue of jealousy. Fantastic 427, we just read. Mm-hmm. 
Strange Tales 121 we just read and Tales of Suspense 54 we just read. All right. Well, least favorite is uh, Tales to Astonish 56. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Giant Man versus the Magician who may or may not be a magician. Right. Uh, Plant Man was also horrible. I feel like uh, Iron Man was kind of repetitive too. Not horrible, but repetitive. Journey didn't do much. Sergeant was kind of cool. I think it boils down pretty easily to FF Avengers or Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So FF's out of those three. Oh, man. I'll say Avengers 5 because I feel like we talked about that more. We had a lot to say about Avengers 5, and it was a pretty fun issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I kind of felt similar to you. Strange Tales was like, Doctor Strange was... I mean, it was all right. It was yeah. it was interesting. Um, X-Men was oh, fun. I forgot about X-Men. But yeah. It was okay. Yeah. It was just kind of middle it, of the road. Yeah. As far as X-Men issues go, it was definitely better than, like, say, issue two. Uh-huh. Um, I liked a lot of what we had this month. Even the Mandarin story, I, I kind of liked more than um, some of the stuff that Iron Man's done. Uh-huh. But I am definitely going to have to land on Amazing Spider-Man 13 for my favorite. Yeah, that's definitely uh, a tie for me, kind of. So you said Avengers, which I think is our first vote for Avengers, unless we said Avengers 4, which we probably did. I must have. I better have. I don't have the spreadsheet in front of me. I'm writing these down in my notes, so I'm going to put them in the spreadsheet later. Um, And I said Spider-Man. Okay. So that sums up our stuff from this month. Now, I wanted to bring up a certain little note. Okay. Um, in the comics, in the anthology comics, there are statements of ownership, postal statements regarding all of the sales data. And we get to find out what was the average monthly sales figures for each of the comics. Okay. So in 1963... The four um, monthly anthology titles are the only books that reported this data. For whatever reason, the featured titles didn't report it. But the four monthly titles did report it. And they're all right around the same. 180-odd thousand issues per month. Wow. 180. But that places them at like 25, 26, 27, and 28 on the sales list. Now, the weird thing is about this sales list is that a lot of comics you expect to hear from did not report their sales. Okay. So the top 10 are things like Donald Duck, Uncle Scrooge, Life with Archie, Betty and Veronica, Flintstones, Tarzan, Three Stooges, Walt Disney's Comics and Stories, Archie, and Dennis the Menace at the top. Okay. But Dennis the Menace at the top had less than 500,000 issues, and the Superman comics are exceeding that every month. So, like, the DC comics, for whatever reason, are not reporting their stuff this year. Um, but I'm going let to you, let you randomly choose. Of the four monthly anthologies, we have Strange Tales, Journey into Mystery, Tales of Suspense, Tales to Astonish, which one do you guess is probably selling the most? The now, they're all most. pretty close to each other in numbers. Which one do you think is selling the most? Hmm. You know, just by, by uh, you know, quality, I would guess either Thor or Iron Man. But Human Torch is associated with the Fantastic Four. So I wonder if that popularity carries over at all. I'm going to guess 
Strange Tales just because of that connection. Strange Tales is ever so slightly behind <sighs> Tales to Astonish. What? Tales to Astonish is 189,390. <laughs> that, to me, would be the last one. That's weird. Right? Wow. So second is Strange Tales with just a little bit less, 189,305. Then Tales of Suspense, 188,110. And Journey into Mystery, 187,895. Wow. I guess if you give the guy a girl sidekick, it sells more issues, huh? The Marvel comics that are exceeding all of those are Kid Colt Outlaw and Rawhide Kid. Well, superheroes are still new. Kinda. Kinda. Patsy Walker and Millie the Model are just below those in the 175,000s. Um, but nothing from DC is, in, is, is reported in this list this year. So it's hard to know how they're stacking up against stuff like that. So they're not, well, they're not reporting the non-anthology books? Yeah. And I don't know what the rules were for the postal statement reporting. Because there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get reported in these early years when we have the actual statements. Hmm. Um, but... Compared to Mad Magazine, which is a million and a half copies every every month, uh, and these are like you know a tenth of that, one hundred seventy five, one hundred eighty five thousand. Wow! So, anyways, a little bit of sales information for you. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, um, we want to extend our thanks and our welcomes to everyone out there in in uh, social media land who's following the show and supporting us. So. Just some names that have recently started following us on the Twitters. We have Sean the Spider Guy. We have The Grady's, which is the GR80S. It's for the Great 80s Movie Debate Podcast, where we see if the movies of the 80s still hold up today. I need to check that out. We have Sean Urbanski. We have Miga del Mar Avalos. We have Collected Edition at Collected ED Pod. A comic book podcast where we discuss famous and infamous runs and story arcs. That sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Stephen Jolly, Long Box of Darkness at Dark Long Box. LOD is a podcast and blog about horror in comic book form, hosted by Herman and available on iTunes. So Herman is one of the two guys. Herman and Grant are also the ones who do that Into the Weird podcast I mentioned last week that they talked about Bronze Age Marvel. So. I think that's all together on the same feed. Might be. I don't know. Adam Stabelli, a longtime follower of the various podcasts I've done. He's at Adam of Gotham. And finally, Methane Man at Farts My Ass Says. Okay. Which is which is a pretty amusing name. So thank you for following us on Twitter. Always appreciate retweets of new episodes, talking us up in your social circles, letting people know where uh you know that you're listening to us and what you think of the show always appreciate that and um where can they find us on the internet mike well they can follow the show on all the usual uh podcasty things like apple and android and google and stitcher and if you can't find those within your phone and stuff you can go to makearsmarvel.com where you'll find links to all those things and if all those fail there's also just a generic rss feed link you can plug into something um You'll find the links to our social media that John was just talking about for Facebook, Google Plus, and Twitter. And you can email us through the site with our contact form or just directly with podcast at makearsmarvel.com. All right. Well, I think that that just about wraps us up. 
And so we will be back next week to dive into April with the second issue of Daredevil and lots of other stuff. So until then, oh, I forgot that this is episode 52. So we're starting our second year next episode. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. So until then, and until Namor abandons his people again to start up a Fortune 500 corporation, make ours marvel. marvel.